here. I, my heart is overflowing with thankfulness, and I do want to say thank you again to Crossroads Baptist Church as a whole for your faithful partnership with us uh, through the years. I want to say uh, thank you to each of you as individuals who have participated in this week to make it a special week for our family and the delicious meals and on and on, the hospitality that's been included. We are extremely, extremely grateful. Uh, as a dad, I want to say thank you to your church for the way you uh, look out for my son, Drew, and uh, take care for him week after week. And uh, it's been exciting to watch him grow this past semester and then coming in this semester and, and uh, you know, getting the texts and getting pictures of his new uh, Wednesday evening uniform and uh, opportunity to minister with your children. And, and uh, I just want to thank you for bringing him in and loving him and allowing him to be part of the church and ministry here. That means so much to me as a dad and uh, just really, really grateful for your church. Uh, the last infomercial for Baptist World Mission, please stop by the uh, table back there if you can use one of those brochures, uh, how to pray for missionaries, how to hold the ropes for missionaries. If you'd like that free uh, subscription to the messenger that comes out four times each year with stories from around the world, what God is doing. Uh, this particular one has testimony from South America, one from Asia, and uh, the last one from Canada, actually. And so uh, Vancouver, and I uh, would encourage you to pick this up, read it, and if you'd like to sign up for the free subscription, you are very welcome to do that. Of course, our family CD is back there for purchase, and uh, my book, uh, Missionary Partnership. I've not put it out this week, but uh, there are a couple other books. If you're interested, I'd like to show those to you as well. One on Pentecostalism. Uh, that was a huge issue in Cameroon. And when I went to Cameroon uh, years ago, I was under the impression that, well, you know, Pentecostals, they're kind of mixed up on the Holy Spirit, but at least they're preaching the gospel. Until I started studying the message that they were preaching and seeing the fruit of it, and I quickly understood they are not preaching the gospel of the Bible. And uh, so that little booklet explains that, breaks down the history, compares the gospel of the Bible to the prosperity gospel that uh, the Pentecostals are preaching there in Cameroon, and I hope that could be a blessing to someone. And then one on answering the question, should Christians drink wine and alcohol? I don't know why people struggle with that question, but uh, there are five very clear biblical principles in that little booklet, as well as the last chapter being a gospel message. Um, I, I don't necessarily encourage you to give that to someone who is not looking for answers, but if you do find somebody who's asking questions and genuinely, sincerely wondering what the Bible says on that issue, uh, that book has helped a lot of people, and that is back there under the table if you'd like to talk about that after the service. Well, let's get into the Word of God. I appreciate so many of you uh, and your gratefulness and encouragement about the messages this week, and even those who have said, I'm praying for you this evening as you bring the message. Please turn to Matthew chapter 9 in your Bible. Matthew chapter 9, I don't think the message this evening will be long, but I hope it will summarize and kind of tie up some things that we've been thinking about and talking about. Uh, of course, our theme this week has been around the corner, around the world, and uh, we've discussed many different topics and issues this week, and I just hope that, as I said, we can kind of boil it down to some, just some take-home reminders this evening. The title of the message this evening is a question. What should we do when the laborers 
are few. What should we do when the laborers are few? Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, if you please stand with me out of respect for God's word. You've been good about that this week, if you can. If you can't, no problem. But Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, would you please take your word and by your spirit impact us and conform us to the image of Christ and do not allow us to leave this room this evening the same way we came in. Lord, change us. There may be someone here this evening who has been struggling with you this week. I pray they would surrender to your spirit and your leading and your word this evening. Perhaps we will see something and Your spirit will prompt us anew this evening in some area. I pray, God, we would say yes to your word and your spirit this evening. Now bless our evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What should we do when the laborers are few? The first thing I see in verse 35 is we go in obedience. Number one, go in obedience. And Jesus went. I said this on Sunday, I want to repeat it again because I'm afraid that many times in missions conferences we get the idea that we should all be willing to go and that's where the challenge ends many times. And I said on Sunday, and I'm going to say it again, being willing to go is not obedience. If everybody leaves here this evening willing to go and we never witnessed anybody again the rest of our lives, that's not obedience, okay? Being willing is never asked of us in the Bible. I don't know where that idea came from, but it's not a Bible idea, all right? Um, uh, The Bible teaches us certain things. The Bible says in Ephesians that husbands love your wives. It doesn't say husbands be willing to love your wives, all right? (laughs) Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. It doesn't say wives be willing to submit to your husbands. That's not obedience. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't say, children, be willing to obey your parents. If my dad had told me as a child to take out the trash, and I said, Dad, I am willing to do that, and my dad came back a couple hours later and found the trash still where it was, I would have been reminded that that was not obedience, okay? And I probably wouldn't have been able to sit very well the rest of the day, okay? Because being willing is not obedience. The Bible says Jesus went. And as we leave this evening, we need to go in obedience, both, remember Acts chapter 8, both around the corner and around the world. That is our simultaneous, at the same time, command and mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we go in obedience. 
God the Father was well pleased with his Son. And one reason was because Jesus always obeyed his Father. God has commanded you and me to go and make disciples of all nations. Where are you going today? This week, where are you going? Pastor Capel's been challenging us each evening how every one of us in this room can participate around the world through our faith promise, grace giving. And I hope you're really praying about that and thinking through that. So number one, go in obedience. If you're not going, you're not obeying, okay? Number two, look at again in verse 35. Jesus, it says in verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So number two, teach and preach the gospel. Teach and preach the gospel. Some have tried to differentiate between an Old Testament gospel and a New Testament gospel, but I want to say again this evening, there is only one way, all right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we see in both the Old and New Testament the proclamation of faith in Jehovah Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus did not preach a social gospel. Jesus did not preach a prosperity gospel. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And we need to preach the gospel as well. I hope we understand the difference. Many Christians today are preaching the gospel of education. Some are preaching the gospel of politics. Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can change your life. Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can change a marriage or change a nation or change the problems that we are facing in our lives or those that we come in contact with. We need to be very careful, even as believers, we need to be very careful that we're not offering uh, people going through challenges and difficulties simple platitudes. Now, keep your chin up. Everything's going to be okay, or it'll get better. How do you know it's going to get better? It could get worse, all right? We need to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether the circumstances of life get better or worse, we are in the boat with Jesus, no matter what the storm or the wind or the waves are doing. That's what we need to share. We need to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moving right along this evening, number three. Not only do we go in obedience, not only did Jesus teach and preach the gospel, but number three, demonstrate compassion. Demonstrate compassion. The Bible says in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, well, let me go back in 35 a little bit, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Do we see people the way Jesus sees people? Jesus saw the people that day as sheep having no shepherd. Now when you try to get that picture, that image, 
of a sheep with no shepherd. That is a very pitiful, helpless image. Sheep have no way to defend themselves. Sheep are very ignorant, dumb animals. I mean, they'll just walk off a cliff. If, they're, I mean, they, if the grass looks greener in that direction, they'll walk into an electric fence. They'll walk into rushing water and drown. They, they need a shepherd. And you know, our world is filled with sheep without a shepherd. They go to school and they're taught they evolve from an ape. They're an absolute accident. There was no intention in their existence. There's no purpose for their existence. They have no hope in existence. And they grow up in fear. Every day they're being told that in just a few years the whole world is going to burn up you know, because of all the things that we've done. And, and, and these kids grow up literally thinking that we're all going to die right around the corner. And then... And then these same children that have been taught their whole lives they're nothing but an accident and an animal and they grow up and live like animals and then we rebuke them for, why are you, why are you living like this? You're living like an animal. It's because they've been taught their whole life that they are an animal. They have no shepherd to give them the truth. They have no identity. Well, I feel like this today and I feel like that tomorrow. Maybe, maybe I should have a surgery. Maybe I'll feel better. Maybe, they have no identity because they have no shepherd who is guiding them and teaching them, and protecting them, and giving them hope. And that's how Jesus saw the people of this world. How do we see our neighbors, and our friends, and our coworkers? When they sin, do we get angry? I I, I think I shared this when I was here uh, some time ago, maybe back in August, but um, this little nugget has helped me a lot, all right? And, And you can take this home if you get anything this evening, it might help you as you view your neighbors and sinners around you. And this is what helps me, okay? I have to keep in mind that sinners sin. That's what sinners do. We cannot expect them to do anything but that. They need Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can save them and bring them out of sin and darkness into the kingdom of light. And that is what Jesus was preaching. And then Jesus saw them for who they are. And instead of getting angry, instead of getting bitter, instead of responding, he was moved with compassion. Jesus demonstrated compassion. Now, I want to say this. There is a huge difference between pity and compassion. They're similar, but there's a huge difference. Pity is a feeling of sorrow caused by the suffering of others. Pity is seeing the suffering and feeling sorry for those people. That's pity. But compassion sees the suffering of others and acts to relieve the suffering. That's the difference between pity and compassion. I see the banner back there, making a difference, Jude 22. What's the difference between pity and compassion? Compassion makes a difference. Pity is when we come to a missions conference, we see the videos from around the world, we see the little children, we see the needs, we see the poverty, we see the suffering, and we feel sorry for those people. Pity sees the same video and says, 
by God's grace, I'm going to make a difference. I am going to make a difference in those needs and in that suffering. Jesus demonstrated compassion. I remember one day in Cameroon, I was visiting a family, and uh, we had finished our conversation and our visit, and uh, in Cameroon, you always walk somebody out to the edge of your property as you say goodbye, and so uh, the family had kind of, the mother had kind of come out, and we were standing at the roadside, and we were saying our goodbyes, and about that time, I saw a taxi pull up just, just down the road from where I was, so Let's, let's imagine that this is the road. I'm standing on this side of the road talking to this lady and saying my goodbyes. And, and just down the road a little ways, a taxi pulled up. I guess it was coming this way. Pulled up and stopped. Opened up its trunk and was unloading things to go to the house on this side of the road. And just about that time as we were talking, weren't paying too much attention. All of a sudden, the boy who lived in the house just up the hill here, the boy who lived in the house saw his mom getting out of that taxi. And he started to run down that hill. And sure enough, just as he reached the road, there was another car coming this way. Hit that boy. Knocked him. Flew right down the road. It was, he was unconscious immediately. And, and it was not a pretty sight. The taxi driver, he pulled out. He drove by. He took off down the hill. Now in Cameroon, um, Oftentimes when there's a car accident like that, you do not stay around because if the family or people around get angry, they can kill the driver right there on the spot. They take matters into their own hands. And so that man was driving to the police as fast as he could get. Well, I'm standing here in total shock. This little boy is laying in the road. He's clearly broken. He's unconscious. He's bleeding on the road. And I'm just standing here in absolute shock. And then there's this mother let me put it this way. I'm standing there in total pity. And then this mother of this family, standing right next to me, she runs out into the road, scoops this boy up. He's bleeding all over her. She doesn't care. She comes running back. I'm still standing there in shock. She starts getting into my car. She's like, Pastor, let's go. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. I mean, I was totally in shock. I was standing there in pity feeling so sorry for this little boy. And you know what this woman did? She got moved with compassion. She scooped that little boy up. She jumped in my car. We started driving to, down the hill to the hospital. As we got to the first checkpoint, there was that taxi driver. That guy was bent over his wheel there at the police, weeping. He felt so, so bad about what happened. The police waved us on. Go, go, go. We went to the hospital. And thankfully... Even though that boy was moaning and going in and out of consciousness, we arrived at the hospital, and I was able to visit him a couple days later. He had all kinds of broken bones and ribs, scraped his head where he had hit the road and so forth, but he was conscious, he was smiling, and he survived. I tell that story to give a graphic distinction between pity and compassion. I was willing to help that boy, but I was kind of in shock. I wasn't even moving. You know, sometimes we look at the world and we hear of hundreds of tribes with no gospel witness. 
And we're kind of stunned. We're, we're kind of paralyzed at the tremendous need around the world. And you know what? I want us to look at the example of Jesus Christ and remind us we need to go out in obedience and we need to be moved with compassion because the task is not finished. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to get into it in obedience to God and reach the world in the time that we have left. You say, Brother Ben, we've sent out a lot of missionaries of this church. Listen, I'm not rebuking you, okay? I understand that this church is excited about missions. You have this entire week, uh, this whole section of this week, set aside to emphasize missions, all right? But the chapel speaker in chapel this week, he shared a testimony of a church. He said, and I can't remember how big the church was, but in this particular church he was describing, there were 30 missionaries sent out of that church. That's incredible. 30 missionaries. But then he followed that up by saying, and the youngest of those 30 missionaries was 50 years old. Somewhere along the line, after that emphasis, there was a fading out of the emphasis, of the compassion, Something went missing in that church. I just want to remind you, keep it fresh. Don't let your compassion wane. There may still be some sitting in this room that God is working on. And you realize during this missions conference, I've been viewing this whole idea of missions with pity. But tonight, I'm going to step out in faith and obedience Because Jesus was moved with compassion to make a difference. And I'm going to go forward. I am going to make a difference by God's grace. I'm going to go out in obedience. We're going to need that revival, that refreshing in our church each and every year. I mentioned the Moravians briefly last night. The church, the Moravian church there in Europe sent for every five members of the church, they sent one missionary. That's how it broke down. Hundreds of missionaries out of that one church. The task is great. The laborers are few. What are we supposed to do? We go in obedience. We preach the gospel. We demonstrate compassion. And I want you to notice this too before I move on to our final point. Let me me mention this, all right? Do you notice the order in this verse? In verse 35 it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Do you notice the order there? We we have this idea today that we've got to build bridges and we need to develop friendships and we have to have a lifestyle of demonstrating compassion before we can preach the gospel. And I'm not opposed to that, but I would like to remind you that's not the biblical order. A couple weeks ago at our annual meeting, I had the opportunity to preach from a cross-reference to this passage over in Mark chapter 6. The theme of that uh, conference was compassion, and I preached from Mark chapter 6, and I noticed the same thing, that Jesus went out and preached, and then he fed the 5,000. And I thought, well, we usually do it the other way around. We, We bake the neighbor cookies, and then we develop a relationship, and then when we feel like 
they have a little confidence in confidence then we share the gospel. But I went back and I thought, I wonder if, if that's the case. And I went back to the beginning of Mark and I started reading the gospel of Mark until I got to chapter 6. And there are actually 12 miracles from the beginning of Mark to Mark chapter 6. And you know what? Every single miracle took place after Jesus had been preaching. He preached the gospel first. And he demonstrated the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel and the love of the gospel with his compassion after he got them what they most desperately needed, and that is the truth of the gospel. Listen, again, I'm not opposed to living a loving life and a sanctified, holy life, but we need to make sure we're not just building bridges from now till Jesus comes, that we're actually crossing those bridges with the truth of the gospel. That is the emphasis. That is the real compassion. And number four, we go in obedience, we preach the gospel, demonstrate compassion. In verses 37 and 38, look at this answer here. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So what are we supposed to do? The answer is summarized in the next word. Verse 38 begins, pray. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The ultimate solution to the shortage of laborers around the world is prayer. Jesus gave this one prayer request. I heard a preacher say this somewhere, and, and I've read through the New Testament many times since then, and I think he was right. He said, you know, we, we have prayer meetings, and we have gatherings, and we give prayer requests, but he said this is the only prayer request that Jesus Christ ever gave in his earthly ministry. His prayer request was, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let me ask you a question. Is that on your prayer list? Is Jesus Christ's prayer request on the top of your prayer list? Pray the Lord of the harvest. I believe we would have a lot more missionaries if we unhypocritically, I don't know if that's a word or not, but uh, anyway, if we didn't pray in a hypocritical way, there we go, all right, for more laborers. What do I mean by that? Well, not long ago, I was in a missions conference um, in Ohio, and the pastor came to me before the service, and he said, Brother Ben, there are three of us men in the church, me and two other men, and we have been desperately praying that God, the Lord of the harvest, will send forth laborers from this church. He said, this church is 99 years old. It's almost 100 years old. And this church has never sent one missionary from their own congregation. And this pastor was broken hearted. He said, so me and these two other men have been getting together every week. And we have been pouring our hearts out to God, begging God to send laborers into the harvest. You know what happened that night? After the service that evening, 
two young couples came forward to surrender their life to missions. The first couple that came down the aisle was that pastor's daughter and son-in-law and their little baby. Wow. Are you praying for your children? Are you praying the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers from among your grandchildren? Jesus instructed us to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. How can I ask God to provide a car for my fellow church member when I have an extra car sitting in my garage? How can I ask God to provide the financial need for my brother when I have some spare cash in my bank account? How can I pray for more laborers and sit around never going, never preaching, never demonstrating compassion and love for the lost? That's just not right. We've got to go. We've got to preach the gospel. We must demonstrate compassion and we must pray the Lord of the harvest. Now, not only pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors, but let me encourage you this year, as you pray for your missionaries, and it's interesting to me as I'm, I'm talking about your missionaries, I keep looking up there and I see, see all those pictures back there, all right? As you pray for your missionaries this year, let me give you just three quick prayer requests. This is from a completely different message, but I still have a couple minutes left, so let me give you this, all right? Uh, Paul, writing his uh, epistle to the church in Philippi, in chapter 1, I see three specific prayer requests that he asked for, and I've kind of boiled those down into three thoughts, three requests, all right? Number one, he said, pray for the furtherance of the gospel. When you pray for your missionaries, pray that God would use them to further the gospel wherever they are. Now, some are going to see a lot of fruit, and some may go years and years and years with very little fruit. But just keep praying that God will use them to further the gospel no matter where they are. Number two, pray for the fullness of the Spirit. Paul asked that they would pray that by the Spirit's power, by the Spirit's control, that the ministry would go forward. You know what? If you have spirit-filled missionaries, that would solve a lot of issues and problems, not only in what they preach, not only in their uh, message and ministry, but you know what? It would protect them from a lot of uh, temptations and struggles that our field administrators have to deal with with missionaries, all right? If our missionaries just were filled with the Spirit, would you pray for your missionaries that way? So I don't know the details. I don't know... Pray as you look at their prayer letter that God will fill them with the Spirit as they deal with these issues that they mention in their prayer letter. Furtherance of the gospel, fullness of the Spirit, and fruit for their labors. Fruit for their labors. Pray that God will give the missionaries fruit. Now again, it's going to be different, all right? I have, been to not, I have not been to many fields yet, but I have been to some where the missionaries see all kinds of fruit and hardly a week or a month can pass without somebody trusting Christ. And then I've been in some fields for months at a time and don't even see one respond to the same gospel message by equally faithful missionaries going out. But pray, as God promised, his word would not return void. Pray that God would see and give them fruit. Go in obedience 
preach the gospel, demonstrate compassion, and pray. What are we to do? That's what we're to do. Are the laborers few? Yes. Now let's pray, and not pray in hypocrisy, but let's pray, here am I. Send me. Send me, Lord, around the corner and around the world. Let's all stand together, please. Before Brother Josh comes and before I close in prayer, if you're here this evening and God's been working in your hearts, with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you'd say, Brother Ben, God has been dealing with me this week. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to mention you by name. I'm certainly not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Say, God's been working in my heart this week. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that? I see one, two, several, several. We're going to have a closing invitation. Brother Josh is going to come and lead us in some verses of a song. And if you need to make that decision public, if you want to come forward and pray, you do as the Spirit leads you. But if, if God is working in your heart in such a way that you need to make that decision public, would you please come down here and talk with me and share that with me and we'd like to share that with the church so the church can be praying with you about that need. Brother Josh, would you come please? Father, I thank you for these moments. I pray you bless in this invitation. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name.